following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Listen, I did it all morning. So. <laughs> my my excuse was I was on three hours of sleep, and if anybody in this building understands that, it's you. Pretty so, much, yes. Yeah. yeah. Hi, folks. Troy Day Mon- or yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Do not back us up to Monday. No. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. Trust me, I don't want to. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Mondays are like my worst day of the week. Other than the fact that It was 60 degrees. Yes, that was nice. So, I'm Troy Coverdale. He's Travion Berkland. Mitch Fortner will be along at 5.30 tonight. K-State baseball coming your way as the Cats continue their Texas swing to open the season. They match up with Lamar tonight. He'll have the call coming up for you this evening, but that means that uh, yours truly is flying relatively solo. We'll have Travion talking throughout. It was 63 when I came to work this morning, by the way. Lovely. Yeah. By the time it got to 7 o'clock, the temperature had already dropped 20 degrees. Grody. Uh-huh. And so that's where we are. And no, I do not like that forecast you're giving us. So anyway. Yes, negatives is painful. Uh, wind chill negatives is painful. Good grief. <sighs> All right. So in other words, it's a great night to stay in and listen to baseball. <laughs> and dream of warmer temperatures. <laughs> that's the way to look at it, folks. That's the way... That and, you know, in honor of Mitch, put AEW up on the TV screen. Right. I'm jealous of him because he's in nicer weather than we are right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Exactly. He's going to get the rude awakening when he comes back to town tomorrow. <laughs> he flies back in to KCI tomorrow at some point. Nice. So he has to put up with this tail end. See, that's always the worst. I've, I've been on the uh, back end of trips like that where you go someplace and it's beautiful and then you come back home. And yeah, not good. Ooh, so anyway, good night last night for the K-State men's basketball team. And one that, okay, granted, I watched from afar in the aspect of just following along as I was over at Manhattan High for the call of uh, the regular season finales for those two teams. But the Indians uh, picked off wins. K-State, though, with a nice win over Baylor last night. A caller just called to say, hey, don't stay in. Go to the women's basketball game tonight. No, it's a good point. KU. It, it, it is a good point. And, yeah, I was going to get to that point at some point, at, at some time as well. Uh, I, it's not happening for me tonight, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a valid item on the uh, list, yes apologies not trying to discount i'm just noting we've got baseball coming up it's warmer <laughs> and and mitch gets the rude welcome home we're on the cups of springtime yeah and i'm looking forward to yeah it. that's see that's always the thing about listening to spring training baseball or early season baseball and it still feels like it's winter so anyway uh we got dy on board 
Derek Young with K-State Online joining us as he does on Wednesdays. I began to note the Cats with the big win last night over the visitors from Baylor, a game in which D.Y., K-State looked as efficient as they have in a long time. Say it again. I don't think he could hear you Okay. At first. All right. Uh, D.Y., I felt like the Cats probably were about as efficient as they were in a long time last night. Yeah, especially on the defensive end, right? I think that was probably the most complete performance that we heard from them or saw from them on defensively that they kind of been skidding a little bit in that department for a good portion of the conference schedule. And look, it wasn't just the defense. I mean, it's tough to defend when you're committing so many live ball turnovers and the first shot defense has been pretty solid. I mean, that's why their defense is rising as quickly as it has up the, the Ken Palm rankings. I think it's actually number 16 in the country now, wow. according to Ken Palm, which probably catches Many by surprise, but really the culprit of poor defense has been uh, the offense giving it away. So it really puts the defense in a bind. You're giving up a lot of second chance points. So you're not just defending the first shot. You're you're having to defend the second, third, and fourth shots as well. So it's really not a poor defensive team. Um, a lot of factors have contributed, making it a little bit more challenging for their defense because the metrics actually like Wildcats defense. But when you put everything together, when you don't turn it over, when you aren't getting smashed on the offensive glass uh, by the opposition, then your defense can take hold the way that the metrics say that it has this year. And, and that's why Kansas State won pretty comfortably against Baylor. And quite frankly, if not being outscored by 21 points at the three-point line, which really probably was the the culprit of the 21-3 to Baylor run that erased a 10-point first half lead by Kansas State, then the Wildcats probably win that by much more than they did. One of the aspects about being able to play well defensively is to do so without fouling. What adjustment did they make to not put Baylor at the line so much then in the second half? You know, obviously you got to move your feet, play with your chest. Yeah. I mean, those, those are kind of the, the fundamentals uh, of being defensively sound um, and, and guarding the ball and and guys w- without without fouling. Um, easier said than done. <laughs> Baylor probably makes it a little easier as well because they're and, and it, understandably so because they can shoot the lights out, but they're very content with with being a jump shooting team. True, and and that's one of the aspects about. Jerome Tang being able to design his play for what he wants his team to accomplish. He's been there. He's coached it. He knows their strengths and knows full well how to take advantage of that with his own team now defensively. Yeah, I kind of mentioned it uh, in one of our stories leading up to the game. It probably goes overlooked too much. Um, I think I overlooked it for a long time, way too much. It was just not something that was front of mind or that I gave a lot of oxygen to because I didn't think that it probably played a considerable factor. But over the years, just seeing plenty of examples, I think that is actually a very substantial element to when a coaching staff has very intimate knowledge of the personnel of the opponent that they are playing. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, we've seen that now. Jerome Tang, first year at Kansas State, what 
personnel roster does he know the most in terms of you know opponents on the schedule? It's Baylor, and you're probably unironically you win both of those games and you sweep the Bears. And uh, it was that overtime at Waco, tougher to win on the road, but I thought it was kind of a comfortable win Tuesday night at, at home. And by I saying you know plenty of examples. I mentioned this in the article as um, evidence and a little bit of ammunition to that argument, or at least to that point, that a coaching staff having very intimate knowledge of a of a, a team's personnel is, is very valuable. I don't know if, you know, obviously you guys are probably aware, and some of the folks that are listening are aware. The year after Bill Snyder left the program, some of those assistants found new jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them found new jobs within the Big 12. Charlie Dickey went to Oklahoma State. He's still there. Andre Coleman, I believe, went to Texas. I do not think he is still there, but the first year he was there. Um, Man, there was a few other ones. Blake Seiler went to West Virginia um, that first year after Bill Snyder exited. And I want to say there was one more um, that's kind of escaping my mind at the moment. But all four of those examples um, obviously knew the Kansas State personnel better than anyone, right? Andre Coleman, Charlie Dickey, Blake Seiler, and yeah, there was one other. All four of those beat Kansas State that yeah. year, and I think maybe even the year after. So until enough time had passed where they didn't have you know the intimate knowledge and understanding of the Kansas State personnel to an extensive level, they, they were beating Kansas State, you know, in those instances, just like Jerome Tang is beating Baylor in those instances now. So um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I know I'm kind of long-winded here, but I just think that's the more I learn, I think the more that is uh, a powerful thing to have in your arsenal. Marquise Noel last night, being able to control the tempo. And I thought that Coach Tang brought up a great point in postgame and whether he intended to or not in bringing it up is another story. But I really felt that his point about Marquise sometimes hanging on the ball too long was a, a tremendous coaching item that none of us were probably digging into in the midst of all of the turnovers that Marquise was, was committing over the recent stretch. The fact that you identify that as coaches and you're able to get a player to make the adjustment paid off huge last night for K-State. Yeah, and and, and maybe, it, you know, you kind of look back and you reflect a little bit on what was ailing the offense. Because as I said, if you could look at Ken Palm, and I think Ken Palm is typically in line with the net, which kind of dictates what we're looking at tournament-wise um, in college basketball. They, they have the Kansas State defense considerably ahead of the Kansas State offense, uh, though neither end of the floor is bad by mm-hmm. any means. Uh, quite frankly, they're both in the top 60, so pretty good uh, when you consider how many college basketball teams that there actually is uh, <laughs> at the Division One level. And I do think that that was probably an issue for Marquise Noel, but the more I reflect on it, I think that was probably an issue with Kansas State in general. That you know, it's I think a little bit of a coincidence, but they are fifteen and zero. I think is the number when they assist on about at least like sixty to sixty five percent of their shots. 
that they make. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I think it's a little bit of coincidence, like that. That's so correlative to wins, but I do think it's correlative to the offense working the way that it is intended to work, and that obviously takes ball movement. Um, and I think Marquise Noel is probably not the only culprit of the lack of ball movement because um, when they're not moving the ball, the ball gets a little sticky, and you're you're probably taking a contested shot. You know, at the end of the shot clock when you've probably made only two or three passes. I think Kansas State probably does that a little bit more than they probably should. And, you know, some of that is just you kind of got away with it earlier in the season, too, and you're playing some inferior teams. And Kansas State's just had so much confidence that they could put up their shots. Marquise Noel was making them. Other guys were making them. And when you get into the meat of the year schedule, especially playing in the best conference in America, those shots don't fall. And when, so when you're making those decisions, it, you know, those decisions that were good enough early because they were making it enough are no longer good decisions. Well, and in many ways, it's also a matter of bad habits, if you will, because it's easy to rest in those moments because you find yourself down, you find yourself struggling, you find yourself wanting to make something happen, but you also recognize that on the scoreboard, you're not getting or you're not keeping up with what the opponent is doing because of turnovers. You're trying not to dig that hole. You want to run a little time, but yet you're afraid that if you're utilizing that extra pass that you're going to turn it over. It, it, it kind of snowballs in a brain and goes from there very quickly. And guys also, you know, it's a good way to just kind of catch their breath for a moment and hold on to the ball and wait and take their opportunity when it's presented. Yeah, and to your point about habits, and in some ways it's like developing bad habits because what they could get away with, some of the, you know, gutsier passes that in the non-conference, like fancy mm. ones that get you on the sports center, top 10 plays, those, some of those shots that get you on the top 10 plays that, that you can kind of get away with against some teams. Uh, you develop bad habits because you got away with them and you try to do it against, like I said, basically a top 20 team every night when you play in a Big 12. Those things, you just can't get away with them then. So some of it I think is also having to adjust to some of the habits that they may have developed because they were outmatching and outclassing a lot of their non-conference opponents. And and I would imagine as, as they get a little bit more comfortable under – Jerome Tang's system. He continues to find his niche at Kansas State, what they want to do and everything. They'll probably tighten up that schedule too to where, you know, because they only got to schedule one game on their own, essentially. Mm-hmm. They inherited the schedule that they 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 played with. And maybe it worked out because it also built confidence, obviously, and uh for this team that probably sorely needed it or at least needed to maybe have the schedule that they did so that they could figure out things since, you know, 11 of the 13 played somewhere else before this year. So I, it was probably a good thing for this year, but going forward, I don't know that he would want as soft as the schedules they had this year, just because it can develop bad habits. Not only that, but it would be a negative if it was a matter where K-State's not in the big 12 and this race is what it is in terms of uh, the challenge night in night out. Yeah, I mean, that non-conference, I mean, looking back on it, just wasn't good. LSU is completely falling apart. I'm not sure Florida is an NCAA tournament team. Butler is 
really the worst loss that Kansas State has because it's the only quad two loss, and they don't have any quad three or quad four losses. Um, Butler just lost to Georgetown the other yeah. night. Yeah, so that, that one's not getting any better anytime, anytime soon, even though they did beat Xavier. So that's kind of a weird thing. You beat Xavier, lose to Georgetown. Um, aside from Nevada, which is a quad one win, and they had a really good win last night again. Um, so that's their, I mean, that's the best non-conference opponent that Kansas State played, I think, and they won it. Um, second is probably Radford. They'll have to win their conference tournament, but they're certainly capable of doing so. Funny that you mentioned Butler. I could do without betting the money line from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After after Xavier and Georgetown. Yeah, go figure. Uh, D.Y., Derek Young with K-State Online with us. We'll uh, continue our conversation with him in a moment as the game continues on News Radio KMAN. The game continues. Troy Coverdale with you this afternoon. We're a shortened edition as coming up at 530 again, K-State baseball, Mitch Fortner on the road with the Cats. We're joined right now by Derek Young of K-State Online. The Cats with the victory last night on the hardwood over Baylor. In the process, K-State putting themselves into, well, third place, at least in terms of the standings. It's a tie for second behind the tie for first amidst what is just a complete mess of a standings board that is replete with a total of four ties. D.Y., this thing's messy trying to sort this out. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what to make of it at this point. (laughs) Yeah, granted, I mean, everybody's just beating everybody up in this conference. That's what it comes down to, including Oklahoma being able to pick up three wins. Yeah, Texas Tech's come to life, yep. and you wonder if they're going to sneak into the NCAA tournament at this point um, because they're trending upwards to a point where they're, aside from a few metrics here and there, their resume's not going to look all that dissimilar to West Virginia. And the Mountaineers were certainly looked at as a tournament team lock at one point. And you got to wonder what that looks like now because they those two teams have the same conference record, mm-hmm. the same overall record. They split the series between the two where the road game won, road team won both games. Um, it'll be interesting um, whether that gives the Mountaineers a, a sudden boot from the tournament or the Red Raiders in the tournament or both out or both in. Um because then you're looking at maybe you only get seven in the tournament if that's the case, or maybe they're both in. You get nine. Uh, that was a huge win on, on Tuesday night for Texas Tech, and I think they have a chance to beat. I, I think I want to say they're playing TCU next at home. Um, if I'm correct, if I remember that correctly, I think they can get that potentially yep. as well. Yep. It's uh, right now. If you held to help me to the table and said. What happens? I think Texas Tech's in the tournament. Um, and it, it could depend on, on them winning that Wednesday night game in Kansas City, of course, as as well. Uh, and then when you look at the top half of the league, you know, Texas and Kansas have a two-game lead on everybody else. So if you're going to look at a winner, it's one of those two. It just really is crazy that when you look up and down this table, how big – 
the win last night was for K-State in the aspect that they beat a Baylor team that has been solid on the road. It's part of how Baylor put themselves back into the mix atop the standings. They're 4-4 four and four away from home. The only teams that are better than them away from home are the two that are right now on top of the standings. Yeah, and Baylor is really, too, if you really dive into what they have done within the league, they've taken full advantage of taking care of business. They went 6-0 and yeah. against the bottom three teams. And you, go, you get those three sweeps, that's pretty crucial. Kansas State already missed out on two of them when they fell to Texas Tech and Oklahoma on the road. Right. So that's the difference between Kansas State and Baylor is Kansas State, um, you know, they've they pretty much beaten everybody at this point, but they they slipped up on those two teams uh, on the road and didn't capitalize against some of the bottom teams of the league when Baylor did. Baylor went on that run where they won 10 of 11. Um, now both of them are they're tied, obviously, they're at third in the league. K-State K- K- does hold the tiebreaker as of now over Baylor um, under their current circumstances. TCU holds the tiebreaker that they have with Oklahoma State. Kansas holds the tiebreaker that they have with Texas. But there's a lot of ball left. But, if, yeah, if the season ended today, uh, the you know, the the two games on, on Wednesday night, I think you're, you're probably see what is it. Oklahoma State would have to go to – uh, Oklahoma, or not go to Oklahoma. They play Oklahoma on Wednesday night, and, and then West Virginia and Texas Tech, I believe, would be playing on Wednesday night as well. And and Kansas State would be playing on Friday or on Thursday because they wouldn't have to play on Wednesday. That's why last night's win over Baylor was big too, because you basically ensure yourself from not having to play that extra game on Wednesday as well. But yeah, at the season end today, I believe Kansas State would be playing TCU on Thursday, which with Mike Miles, changes the face of everything. Yeah, it does. They've lost. Four, uh, four of five with him, without him, I know, and and then yeah. lose with him the other night. But still, yeah. he, he brings a different approach. I mean, it's why he was the preseason player of the year. No, yeah. He, I mean, he's certainly outstanding, um, but they've been, you know, a good – yeah. I guess even with him, they they just felt like they've underachieved a little bit yeah. this year. Um, still a dangerous team. They whipped the Wildcats at full strength in Fort Worth. It's not the, the most ideal matchup for Kansas State. You probably would like to avoid them. But if you want to avoid TCU, if you're looking at Kansas State and who they might play you know, on that Thursday, assuming they get a three or a four seed, if not TCU, you're play, probably playing Iowa State or Oklahoma State. Um, the Cyclones notoriously have been pretty good in Kansas City. So do you want that? I don't know. They're, that's a team that's really sputtering right now, though. Um, it it goes in ways of which teams are hot, which teams are not. Um, so who knows what you what we would think about both of these teams when the when the Big 12 tournament would arrive. But right now, both Iowa State and Oklahoma State are, are reeling a little bit. Meanwhile, Texas Tech is on that upswing and putting themselves into a very interesting spot going forward. Hard to believe we're down. You mentioned a lot of basketball still to be played, but we're effectively down to two weekends. Yeah, yeah, and only three games apiece for everybody. Um, So that's relative. A lot of basketball means there's a lot of games that could really fluctuate the, the current standings being what they are right now. For example... When I say a lot of basketball left, we talked about Texas right now. They're tied at tied in first with Kansas, but man, you would much rather be Kansas with their schedule when they have two home games 
left against, I think, West Virginia and Texas Tech, and then the big road game at Texas. Whereas the Longhorns, at the end of the year, they get that home game with Kansas. But before that, they are at TCU and mm. at Baylor. So so I would much rather have KU schedule because Texas has to go to TCU, they have to go to Baylor, and they have to host KU. You know the team that as I look at the uh, schedule that puts themselves in a good position here with two of their last three at home and against who they play? Iowa State. Right behind yeah. the Cats in the standings, they've got Oklahoma on Saturday, they've got West Virginia on Monday, and then close out on the road at Baylor the following Saturday. Yeah, given what Iowa State has left on their slate, not that it's easy and not that Kansas State really has to to improve their NCAA tournament seating because I think some of that's already rooted and already put to bed, so to speak, because of all the quad one wins that they have and the respect that the Big 12 has already been commanding from the committee. Um for example, Kansas State was number 12 in that bracket reveal overall, mm-hmm. and then they just went and beat number 11 and number 7 in that same bracket reveal. So I think their NCAA tournament seating, to an extent, is already baked in. You got the the bare minimum, you got to beat Oklahoma at home, and I don't think you're going to drop below a four seed if you're the Wildcats. But for the Big 12 tournament seating uh, purposes, and if you want to, if you do want to stay in that three spot, um, not only do you kind of worry about what Baylor does, but like you said, because of the slate that they have remaining, you worry a little bit about what the Cyclones are able to do. Even though they're playing poor basketball right now, it's not out of this. It's not unrealistic to think that they can go 3-0 and with what they have remaining on the docket. So if you're Kansas State and you take that into consideration of what they need to do, yes, take care of business at home against Oklahoma. Uh, I don't really have any fear about them doing that. But it would almost be in their best interest to grab one of these road games. Um, And I think this Saturday against Oklahoma State and Stillwater is probably more gettable than West Virginia and Morgantown. Final thought from you. I just want to change it up. Amidst all of this swirling around, there's the other thing that's swirling around. And I don't know that we're heading to anything being settled before the end of the NCAA tournament. But are you hearing anything new in regards to Pac-12 conversations and what's going on TV-wise? No, I don't really have any inside information on that front. Just kind of reading in between the lines of what everyone else that claims to know things (laughs) says, um, which is probably a fool's errand on my part. Um, You're just tired of it. Yeah. (laughs) What I will say is if it is, less money and much less visibility i will be curious to see if those because they're talking about just an apple tv deal that's probably five to six million dollars less per school than what the big 12 got right so if, if it's that's the case then you're getting considerable less visibility for a conference that already has a visibility problem mm-hmm. and and less money now five or six million per school i don't know if that's enough to to fly the cuckoo's nest, so to speak. But if you pair that with a concern about visibility, I think it's probably 50-50 because uh, that might tempt some schools, I would think. It's just crazy that we find ourselves with that swirling around everything else that goes on when we get to this point of the year where the focus should be on the excitement of uh, March Madness looming in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um and one of those teams that's going to be prevalent in March Madness is Arizona. Yes. And I would imagine 
given the makeup of their school, what they seem to prioritize kind of they're basically the Kansas of the Pac-12, right? Yeah. Um, basketball, considerably, 100 times more important to them from a cultural standpoint than football. Uh, I would think that they would want to jump at the notion of joining the Pac- or joining the Big 12, but they probably they probably need some buddies to go into that with, and I don't know that the rest of any of the other schools are, are there yet. <sighs> it is going to continue to be interesting, no doubt about that. Very good, uh, D.Y. We'll look forward to catching up to you next week. Thanks, as always. Absolutely. Derek Young with K-State Sports Online. That's our K-State Online, excuse me. And uh, you can uh, find always at the uh, On3 site, on3.com. And we'll have much more coming up in just a few. We're going to shuffle things around since we're on a shortened uh, show tonight because of baseball coming up at 530. Uh, We'll hit the song of the day coming up next. Travion and I to talk a little bit about some melon camp. interview with the L.A. Herald Examiner. John Mellencamp explained, I wrote it in three minutes. Scrawled the first line in soap on the glass door in the shower. It was really just a joke. I think all good things probably started as jokes. Wasn't God having a laugh when he made this whole place. It is a weird title. It's always one thing I've been like, Hurts so good. Like, you know. Yeah. Sixteen weeks in the top ten. The longest stretch of any song in the nineteen eighties. Really? It was kept out of the top spot by, oh, this is hilarious. Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Ah. Rocky Three Mania, baby. One had more staying power than the other. For sure. When it comes to artists. <laughs> oh, now, come on. Survivor, well, okay. They went soft, so they went real soft. I believe John Mellencamp's doing two dates at the Midland in Ooh. Kansas City, I think early this summer or at least in the spring or something like that. 
in many ways, he's kind of the... I'd, I'd like to just say he's like along the lines of Springsteen, just not matching the notoriety. Yeah. But a show with yeah. Mellencamp would be very similar. Yeah, I feel like if there was any, like, not rivalry, but like anybody that was coming up on Springsteen's yeah. tails at the yeah. time, it was definitely John. Written by Mellencamp and George Green, his childhood friend and occasional writing partner. Mellencamp claims that he had uttered the phrase hurt so good without the S on hurts, just hurt so good, and that they finished it very quickly. Uh, He expounded on the writing in an interview with American Songwriter magazine. We exchanged lines back and forth between each other and laughed about it at the time. Then I went and picked up the guitar and within seconds I had those chords. I honestly believe that I still have the 45 sitting in the collection somewhere in the apartment. It would be cool to go through your 45s, man. Do you ever break I, them out? I, I have them. I do not have many of them anymore. Right. Multiple moves will do that, but this was one uh, that almost got needle burn because uh-huh. of play. I think my mom hates the guitar riff to this day. <laughs> I'm always that person. I go to people's houses and they're like, oh, my old record collection's in the attic and I'll just sit there for hours looking for oh. it. See, my cassette collection was that that way. My dad was tired of moving it the number of times. Okay. <laughs> in 2018, Mellencamp talked about the real inspiration. He said when he first started playing in bands, he didn't realize how crude and mean other fellows could be is how he put it in quote how crude they were with women and how crude women were that led me to the song because I was playing in these bars and I could not believe the lows people would go to with each other the thing that surprised me is it fit my personality perfectly I fit right in with all that I don't know that that's all that much of a surprise Keeping in mind that the artist known as Johnny Cougar for his first two albums actually became more of a star in Australia before he did in the United States. Which is odd. The cover of I Need a Lover is what propelled him to stardom down under. And he says, going to that country and seeing how fans reacted made him determined to create more hits because he realized that it would give him more musical freedom. The ability to call his own shots. And so, the next two albums became about making hits. This one being the breakthrough that he was looking for. Two albums later, he started using his real last name and writing such things as Pink Houses and Rain on the Scarecrow, Small Town. Oh my goodness, I did not realize. He once owned a tattoo parlor. Huh. <laughs> um, he has an aunt who requested Hurts So Good as a tattoo. 
I was gonna say, is the tattoo parlor called Hurt So Good? <laughs> the tattoos? My goodness. <laughs> Best male rock vocal performance of 1982. In his acceptance speech, I don't know what to say. I'm just an idiot. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Mellencamp actually had been making videos since 1978. It played a huge role in launching Hurt So Good as well because of MTV launching in 81. You, I always think of the video with this song, too. Right. Like, all the people together, and he's, like, driving through the small town and stuff. So, they boosted the budget. They did a shoot that included bikers, playing up the pain interpretation of the song with shots of ladies wearing leather and chains. Exactly what MTV was looking for. A swaggering American rock star in a video with motorcycles and girls. Soon to be replicated by Motley Crue and others. It went into hot rotation. The song got the huge boost. It also helped MTV reached a huge rural audience because cable television was very popular in the areas outside of broadcast signals. Didn't he do some kind of promotion with MTV, like called Little Pink Houses, and you got to win like a pink house or yes. something? Yeah, somewhere along the line <laughs> he did, yes. Uh, by the way, Mark Wahlberg wanted to do a rap version. Oh, no. Mellencamp turned him down. Good. <laughs> oh, man. Dropped off demos in New York at the age of 21. Had a management company already offer him before he was out of town. He took the offer, which set him on the path to stardom. MCA, the first to sign him, he clashed with the label. Allowed his manager to change his name to Johnny Cougar. Before eventually going back to John Mellencamp in time for Pink Houses. Same album as Pink Houses, by the way. Play guitar, underrated track. Just for the fact that it also includes a four-letter word in it as well. I'm not as familiar with his solo albums. I've always had his greatest hits. You need to hear that track. Play guitar. There's so much attitude to it. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. And that one line, including the four letters, uh, perfect. (laughs) Hey, I want to address, uh, we had a color in the last break before we head for this next one coming up. I just want to address, Ron from Manhattan noted last night the TV broadcast may not have been as enthusiastically called as what the energy at the game probably was. I mean, for crying out loud, flashlight cell phones during sandstorm. Rich Hollenberg had the call, so I'm not sure why. I mean, you know, Rich has had a number of our games this year, so I'm not sure why. Whether it's just the stress of a number of games on the schedule catching up or just what played into that. But that's who was on the play-by-play, so I can't speak to that, especially since I didn't get to witness it at all since I was across town. I got to figure out a time to go back and watch, maybe Friday. We'll see about that.
pull it up and get ready for the uh, Saturday matchup of 1 o'clock Oklahoma State. Coming up next hour, some thoughts on the ongoing discussion, whether or not the Pac-12 is going to exist shortly. That, and we've got baseball on the way at 5.30. As the game continues on K-Man, a check of the afternoon news is on the way as we head into the top of the hour at News Radio KMAN.